0: So we're going to see, uh, we're going to look at uh, John chapter 19, sorry, verses 1 and following. Listen to God's holy word. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the stone pavement in an Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. We're going to see Pilate accidentally under the providence of God Proclaiming Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in, in several different ways. We've got a really simple outline for you this morning that I've cooked up for you, right? Um, it's Behold the Lamb of God, right? Pretty simple. Sermon title, if you forget the outline, just look at the sermon title. Behold the Lamb of God. So let's look first at behold. And when I when we talk about behold, we're talking about when Pilate says, Behold the man. And so we're we're talking about the presentation that Pilate makes of Jesus. And what we see in this passage is that when Pilate presented Jesus to the people, he accidentally presented him as the Passover lamb of God. We see that in two different ways. First, he presented him as the innocent man, and second as the bloody man. The innocent man first. The Passover lambs had to be examined and they had to be spotless or without blemish, signifying moral purity that no human being at the time of the Old Testament until Jesus came, there was no morally perfect human being. Uh, you know, Adam sinned eventually. He was perfect at first, but he sinned. And so uh, and so did Eve. So, you know, the, he, the, 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 sorry. <laughs> um, he proclaimed him as innocent. And so let's look at verse four. Read that again with me. It says, Pilate went out again and said to them, See or behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Kind of evocative of when people would bring out their Passover lambs and have them examined to see whether they passed muster. And, you know, they would know what, yes or no, pass or fail. Is it blameless? Is it spotless? Is it uh, without blemish or not? Pilate accidentally was proclaiming Jesus to be the innocent Son of God. Why is this important and why is this necessary for our salvation? The the Gospel of John, in the Gospel of John, John is proclaiming Jesus, big picture, the entire Gospel is this Jesus is the divine Son of God, sent to be the Lamb of God, to give us the life of God through faith in Him. That's the point of the entire Gospel, and you see that throughout the Gospel. And so, we know that in order for us to be made right with God, God cannot lie and call us righteous knowing that we're sinners, right? If, he just, if, he, if nothing else happened with Jesus and He just looked at us and looked at me, who I'm definitely still sinful, and said righteous, He would be lying. So, you may ask, well... Okay, all the stuff Joel was saying and we ask for forgiveness and we know God forgives us. Like, How can He be righteous? How can He not be lying and say, righteous? How can He not be lying? It's because Jesus lived an actual, historical, real, perfect human life giving us a permanent, perfect record of human obedience to God in our place. Isn't that good news? A permanent, perfect record to be legitimately imputed or credited to us, put in our file, so that God's not pulling something out of thin air when He says you're righteous. It's because you're covered or imputed with the righteousness of Jesus and His perfect human record 24-7, loving God in His sleep for a, a mature human life on earth in our place. Jesus is the true, innocent, spotless Lamb of God. But notice how Pilate also presents him not only as the innocent man, but the bloody man. Look at verse 5 with me. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. During the Exodus, when Passover was initiated, God was punishing the nation of Egypt, and the last plague was to be the death of the firstborn sons. But God made a provision for the Jews, and He said, You need to take a spotless lamb, you need to sacrifice it, and you need to put the blood of that lamb over the door, on the the, the frame of the door of your household. And God says, When I see the blood, I will pass over you and not put the plague on you that I'm bringing on Egypt. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and you will not be judged directly for what your sins deserve. They deserve to, to have the plagues just as much as the Egyptians did. They're sinners too, right? We're sinners too. And Pilate presents uh, Jesus as the bloody man. Uh, why is that important? It's because Jesus had to bleed in our place as a Passover lamb. The, the Bible says in the Old Testament that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There ha- otherwise, God would be unjust. As we read earlier and heard earlier, uh, that, that assurance of pardon from Romans, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If God did not fully punish our sins on Christ, He would be evil to forgive us. All of the Old Testament believers, God had passed over their sins and put them on Christ at the cross. That's what Romans 3 tells us. That even though Jesus hadn't come yet, God was provisionally forgiving them and, and imputing, crediting them with what Jesus would do in the future when He came to bleed and suffer in our place. And so I want to take a moment to behold the blood. Let's look at verses 1-3 through 3 in more detail. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. What is flogging? Flogging is not like, okay, all right, we're done. The flogging was like the cat of nine tails, it was something that had cords to it with weights on the end so it would be effective and hit hard. And like things like broken bits of glass or other sharp objects. And so another way to to translate or to think of that word would be he flayed him. That when Jesus voluntarily, instead of calling in legions of angels to wipe them all out and safely go back to heaven without suffering, instead of doing that, he stood there and allowed himself to be whipped with this whip that literally tears your back apart. It leaves you with strips of skin on your back. This was so so torturous and life-threatening that sometimes people who were crucified didn't make it to the cross because this flogging, this flaying, killed them. It was to help them die quicker on the cross, but some of them didn't make it. I was talking to a friend of mine this week who has been, and he's not connected with our church at all, he said some really horrible experiences with churches and with pastors because when he dared to ask questions about God and dared to ask questions about the Christian faith, you know, he was told, you, know, you can't ask that and if you disrespect God, you're going to hell. And what I was able to tell him was that God came to be disrespected on purpose in our place that we who have disrespected him could be forgiven and welcomed into his family. And we see Jesus giving his back to the whip, giving his body to be broken lovingly in our place. Look at his blood streaming down his back. The divine Son of God came to bleed for you. Let's keep going. John 19, verse 2. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. The thorns of that area were not like your sort of painful but not too impressive rose thorns in your garden, right? The, the plants that had thorns in that region had really long, spiky thorns. Uh, when, when we got to go to Africa a few, couple summers ago, um, I stayed on and got to go to Ethiopia after we had done our missions trip in Uganda. And they have these acacia trees uh, in, in Ethiopia, like it talks about in the Bible, you know. And when you look at these acacia branches, the, from a distance, the tree is really beautiful. It's that stereotypical African tree with the layers, kind of looks like a bonsai tree. It's, they're gorgeous. But when you get up, they've got these thorns that are like this long, Okay. And so that was what the soldiers made a mocking crown out of and jammed it on Jesus' head. I want you to behold the blood coming out of his head. What's the big deal about thorns? Where do we first hear about the existence of thorns in the Bible? It's Genesis chapter 3, right? When God cursed the earth, He made it much harder for us to get food from the ground and from agriculture. And He talks about that the thorns would grow up and choke out the plants and that your work to get something to grow out of the ground would be exceedingly painful as a reminder of the curse against our sin and as a reminder that you are not God you can't snap your fingers and make food appear. It's going to be painful. It's you should humble yourself as a finite creature who's living on a cursed earth as a result of man's sin. And so Jesus when he bore that crown was not just bearing a painful thing. He was bearing the image of the very curse against our sin on himself on purpose. He gave Himself over to that for you and for me. What else did they do to Him? They gave Him this purple robe. Now the purple robe didn't cause Him to bleed, but I don't know about you, but if if I've just had my back flayed, I probably wouldn't want anything to touch it. And they put this expensive robe. Purple was a symbol of high authority and wealth. In some contexts in the Roman Empire, only only the high leaders were allowed to wear purple. It's because they were made out of these really the dye was so expensive because it was made out of these small, tiny sea creatures, and they had to like kill all these sea creatures and harvest them to get this this dye out of them to dye these robes. You know, imagine you have someone come up to you and said, you know, man, I love you. I just so appreciate you. Um, you mean so much to me. Um, you have, the Lord has used you to change my life in so amazing ways. And then he said, I'm just kidding, I hate you. And then he walks away. That's, that's kind of what's happening here. You know, the devil tempted Jesus. And it was a real temptation, y'all. If it wasn't a real temptation, it wouldn't be hard to resist, right? The devil tempted him like... He, see, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world if you'll just bow down and worship me. You can be a king without a cross. You can be a, a king with a golden crown, not a thorny crown. If you'll just, just move your body. If you just move your body in this way, like, you know, it's not, a, not that yoga is bad, like a yoga pose. Just do a yoga pose of worship. This is called the worship pose. Just bend your body, and then you will not have to go to the cross, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. That was a real offer. Otherwise, it would not have been a temptation. And Jesus resisted that because He was saving Himself for this. He was saving Himself for the mocking coronation in our place. Behold the blood. Pilate accidentally presented Jesus as the innocent, bloody man. Because God the Son had to become man to be the Lamb of God in order for us to have the life of God, full forgiveness, adoption, and becoming children of God. He had to do that. So behold. You got the behold part? Behold. Behold the man Oops, you're accidentally preaching the Gospel and you don't even know it, Pilate, right? Behold. Let's look next at the Lamb. It gets even more detailed. So if the behold thing was about the presentation, Pilate, how he presented Jesus to the crowds, the Lamb is about the timing of this. The timing of this. Now I want to remind you that in the Gospels, we read that the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders tried their best to keep this from happening at this time. You can look it up on your own. That It says they were trying to keep Him. They didn't want to arrest Him and crucify Him at Passover because of the crowds. Because a lot of the crowds loved Jesus and they were scared of the crowds and losing their power. And so they were like, okay, we're going to do this any time but Passover. You know, I'm like, Lord... Please give me a new call. This is years ago. But I just don't want to live in Florida. You know, like, how's that working out? I love it now. I love being in Florida, right? You know, (laughs) Lord, Ben and Kate were were born in December. So if you ever know that have another child, please help them not to be born in December. Lo and behold, when was Charlotte born? December. All our birthdays, mine, Laura, all the kids, right? You have this desire for timing. And the Lord has his own plans, his good plans. His good plans. And so the whole effort of the religious leaders, the official representatives of God, tried their best not to have Jesus crucified at Passover. But guess what? Somehow, by the time it happened, they were crying out for Him to be crucified. And the amazing thing about this is the timing that it was at Passover. Look at verse 14 with me, please. Says, now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. Okay, I want to ask a couple questions that some of the commentators asked. By the way, the whole timing of this and how it related to the Passover day and stuff, scholars disagree about all the timing of this. And people are like, does does this gospel contradict this gospel and whatever? They, they, They don't, but the timing is. Is a tough thing among commentators, but I want to encourage you. Um, One of the things they ask is, what does it mean, the preparation day of the Passover? What does that mean? Well, the day of preparation just means Friday. Uh, It's a day of preparation for the Sabbath. But in other Gospels, it talks about this being a high Sabbath or a great Sabbath. And so, in this context, the Sabbath, that Saturday, was the actual day of Passover, and so they were, the preparation day was before Passover. And so some of the commentators said, well, how can that be true? Because Jesus ate, what, did, what was the Last Supper? What was it? Was it a cookout, like a grill out? What was, it was a Passover meal. So Jesus ate the Passover meal on Thursday evening with his disciples, and then he gets arrested, and then he's going to be crucified. And so you might say, wait a second, well, God missed the timing, you know? He, missed, he was off. No. Uh, I want to read this to you that was really interesting to me. Um, well, quoting Leviticus 23.5, it says, In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight is the Lord's Passover. That word t- for twilight means between two evenings, okay? And so I want to read to you this uh, statement from a commentary that I thought was really fascinating. This commentator said, In actuality then, there were really two Passover observances happening at the time of Jesus. One led by the priests at the temple, and the other observed by the people in their homes. These separate observances were also at different times. The temple kept Passover was observed late in the afternoon of Abib 14, or Nisan 14. It was the 14th of that month. While the home kept Passover, was kept at the beginning of Abib 14. And here's my little insert. Just remember that a Jewish day was composed of evening first and then morning, just like in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 1. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So evening and morning are, the, are one day. Uh, so Abib 14 was a Thursday evening and a Friday morning slash afternoon. He says, as the gospel showed, Jesus and his disciples ate the Passover in a home rather than at the temple, observing it the evening before the priests did at the temple. In other words, Jesus kept it as Abib 14 began while the priests kept it as Abib 14 ended. You're like, uh, so what? Why is this important? Well, on the morning afternoon of that day, Abib 14, uh, he says, the, the day of preparation of the Passover had come, and it was about the sixth hour, which uh, 6 a.m. is the first hour. And so, or I guess maybe 7. Anyway, uh, so yeah, whatever. Uh, it's noon. The sixth hour is noon, okay? And so what do we see here? This is as, as Jesus is being presented to the people and as the chief priests, remember it, was, it said the chief priests were crying out, crucify Him and away with Him. They were doing this at around that time of day that the priests would themselves offer up the Passover Lamb. Isn't that amazing? The same guys were like, "No, oh, we'll do it any other time of Passover, any other month but December, right? Uh, that's what God did. Can you hear someone else proclaiming to us, behold the Lamb of God? So we see... Lastly, of God. Behold, how he was presented by Pilate, the Lamb, the timing of Passover, and of God. We'll see what we mean by this. We see this, that this was of God by the surrender that Pilate eventually made in giving Jesus over to be crucified against his own explicit desires and will. First of all, Pilate was not to be taken lightly. You know, when we look at the Gospel accounts, sometimes we're like, man, what a wuss. I mean, he was scared of Caesar. He was scared of the Jews. I mean, come on. If I was there, I would have... You know, No, um, I want you to think about who he really was. In Luke 13.1, we are reminded, quote, there were some present at that very time who told him, that is Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He was a violent man who had killed uh, Jews who were revolting against Rome earlier uh, while they were sacrificing, most likely at Passover. Let me read to you this quote from an old preacher from the 1700s named Benjamin Grosvenor. Grosvenor. He says there, his his old language, so it's it's not going to sound grammatically correct. There was some that told our Lord the tragical news of Pilate's severity upon the poor Jews of Galilee, the followers, probably of one Judas, the Golanite. This fellow, it seems, had insinuated into the minds of a faction that he had raised that they, being the people of God, ought to own no other king or governor but God himself, and that therefore it was their duty to shake off the Roman yoke and save themselves the charge and shame of paying continual tribute to Caesar, such a notion as this to be sure exposed them to the government and Pilate, who was always jealous for the emperor's interests and fierce against the Jews, took the opportunity as they came to the Passover to fall upon this party as they were sacrificing and made their own blood and that of their sacrifices run down in one common stream. I'm going to quote from another book that quotes ancient writers about Pontius Pilate, A book. Uh, by a guy named James Jeffers, tells us this. A letter written in 40 AD by Herod Agrippa to his friend the Emperor Gaius Caligula describes Pilate as quote, naturally inflexible. Isn't that interesting? Naturally inflexible. Not a two-faced, not a, two-face, not a well, wishy-washy kind of guy. right? Naturally inflexible. A blend of self-will and relentlessness. This is important as we look at what God does, what happens in this story. He was not a wishy-washy kind of guy, all right? Then he says, Philo of Alexandria, a contemporary of Pilate, describes in a letter to the Emperor Gaius the crimes of Pilate, which included, quote, the briberies, the insults, the robberies, the outrages and wanton injuries, the executions without trial constantly repeated. He didn't have any problem executing people without a trial. So what we see happening here is unique and surprising. It wasn't, this does not fit the pattern of Pilate's MO. Okay. He says, the executions without trial constantly repeated the ceaseless and supremely grievous cruelty. Pilate did not want to let Jesus be crucified, but he gave in eventually. Listen to what it says in, in the first part of verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought... To release him. Remember, keep in mind what you just heard about Pilate's tenacity and his stubbornness and his inflexibility and his violent power and history of of killing people, right? Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. In Luke 23 15 and 16, Pilate made his own will known explicitly. Listen to the, the inflexible, relentless man's will. What does he say? He says, look, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. Like the flogging. I'm going to punish him and release him. So that was the, the plan of the man that you heard all those things about. But what happened? He ended up surrendering. He ended up surrendering. Pilate flexed his authority to Jesus and Jesus told him the truth. Pilate was like, you're not going to talk to me? Who do you think you are? Don't you know who you're talking to? I've got the power to crucify you. I've got the power to release you. And and Jesus uh, flexes back. (laughs) He says, you would have no authority to do anything unless it were given to you from above, i.e. from my Father in His providence. And so what happens? Verse 16 So he, Pilate, delivered him over to them to be crucified. So Pilate's allowing Jesus finally to be crucified. Remember in the Gospels, he publicly, literally, physically washed his own hands and says, you know, his blood's not on me. I'm letting you do your thing, but this is not what I want. Pilate's own allowing Jesus to be crucified against his own will is obviously a move of God's providence. So who else is proclaiming to us? Behold, the Lamb of God. It's God Himself. And it had to happen. Acts 2.23 says, "...this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men." That was Peter's sermon to, to the Jewish people in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. You see this mystery of God's sovereignty and our responsibility? God had a definite plan that was unavoidably going to be worked out because he's sovereign. And yet, by what we call secondary causes, is the fancy impress your friends at parties word, uh, by secondary causes, the the sin was actually committed um, by human agents who were responsible for that sin. Do I understand that? No, I don't. But it's what the Bible teaches. And this is an instance of this. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge. And foreknowledge doesn't just mean passive prediction like psychic friends network. It means He chose beforehand. I foreknew Him. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You, unbelieving Jewish people at the time, Jewish leaders, did this by the hand of the lawless men. But He's... he's, Leaning on them as guilty and needing to repent. So, what does this do for us? We see here that by God's providence, this surprising surrender that Pilate makes, which is just unimaginable given the history of his life leading up to this point, was clearly and ultimately a work of God. And so, when you see this bloodied scene of Jesus being mocked and tortured. And, and being spat upon and other part, Gospels talk about, we see that ultimately God was in charge of this. This ultimately had to happen because God was that determined to save you and me. Jesus says in Luke 24, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? What do we see as we look at this story? We see that it was God Himself who is giving His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's God Himself, through His providence, that's that's saying, Behold the Lamb of God, who cried out, It is finished. Please pray with me. Father, we worship You and we praise You for the greatest gift that could ever be given, that has ever been given or ever will be given. We thank You for giving Jesus to be the Lamb of God in our place. Lord, we thank You for giving us Your life to know You, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom You've sent knowing your love, Lord, being set free by that love. Lord, we pray that you would increase our faith through what you told us through your word this morning. Would you remind us this week that the Lamb of God has been slain once in our place, never to be repeated, and that he cried out, it is finished, and he meant it, and he's not lying. Lord, would you give us boldness in our confession of sin? And would your love shining through the Gospel give us strength to resist sin? To give us strength to love people and to love you in response to how greatly you love us? Pray these things for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.